0: Welcome to
1: The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws
2: than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels.
3: And Diane says it's time for us. Here we are. Thank you, Diane. We are here. I'm John Ashton.
0: I'm Neil Michaels. And if Diane says we're here, we're here.
3: Where else are we going to be? We are the approach shot. And we, we are, are the here. approach shot. Yes, we are. yes. And he finally did something right. He finally went out and got somebody who's been in a Red Sox uniform. We'll I talk about that in a little bit. But,
0: <laughs> you know, he's not the first one. <laughs> no, it's not. We've had others. But it's been a while. <laughs> I do. You know, I, I do. I spend time really trying to get Red Sox players or somebody that has something to do with Louisville. <laughs> because everybody who listens is you. That's everybody right. wants to know about what's going on in Louisville and what's going on with the Red Sox. Nothing else matters. You're finally getting it. <laughs>
3: Thank
1: you. you. I'm finally so I used, getting. used
3: to say to my dad, I say, you know, he'd say to do something, I say, I'm trying. He goes, Yes, you are very.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, he was. Yeah, yeah. And yes, you were. <laughs> Speaking of trying, Yes, I I will do anything for a segue. I've been trying to understand why when you and I were growing up, Mm -hmm. Christmas started unofficially on Black Friday Mm -hmm. and they just keep moving it back. I was watching the Today Show this morning and they had just done this cute segment yesterday, Halloween, dressing up, all of this kind of thing. And this morning they replayed it, and then they had Mariah Carey come out and do this thing where it basically announced the unofficial start of Christmas. Dude, it's November 1st. Now, I know that this is going to drop in the middle of November, but I'm telling you, we recorded this on November 1st, and it was odd that we barely got into November, and we're talking about taking the pumpkins and things out. And putting Christmas trees up already. And I'm thinking, are we just not doing Veterans Day this year? Is the first two weeks of November not exist anymore? Oh, Veterans Day and Thanksgiving are now gone. We don't don't even consider them anymore. I've noticed that Thanksgiving has definitely become just an extension of Christmas. And I know, I know I sound like an old man, get off my lawn (laughs) and give me back my Thanksgiving. But... Honestly, it just, it feels like we we might be rushing things a little bit. We we might just just a tad. Yeah, just a bit. Two
3: weeks ago, around Columbus Day, I guess that's three weeks ago, it was very warm here. And Mm -hmm. we decided, hey, we've got the weather. Let's enjoy it. Let's have a cookout. Okay. So I went to four stores looking for charcoal. Four. Nobody had any. (laughs) I wound up at Walmart and asked somebody, do you have any charcoal left? And she went, well, if we did, it would be in a clearance aisle over there in lawn and garden. And I said, well, that's great. But lawn and garden has been turned into Santa Claus land already.
0: <laughs> this is two weeks ago. This is, this is you know, Columbus Day. Oh yeah, my the 12th of October. Wow. Or excuse
3: me, Indigenous People's Day, whichever holiday you want to celebrate. It was October 12th. No charcoal
0: anywhere. None. That's crazy. So you did what any red-blooded golfer would do. And you said, the heck with the cookout, I'm, I'm going to go play 18. That was probably what you wanted in the first place. So
3: it wasn't indeed. And I had a good excuse, but uh, at the golf course, a guy told me there was a, a speedway that still had some uh, match light in the back. So I went by and asked for some of the match light. I felt like I was buying something. illicit. Hey, I hear you got some match light in the
0: back. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, next year, if the same situation happens, here's what you do. You get all the friends that you were going to invite to your house mm-hmm. to come to the golf course because I'm sure they had some match light <laughs> yeah, And you I'm could sure. have used one of their little barbecues yeah. and you could have had your wife Just and friends to- and stuff set it all up yeah. while you're out playing nine.
3: Yeah. You don't know my wife and friends, do you? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not.
0: <laughs> while we're on the yeah. subject of the holidays, yes. I have to tell you that it's a little frantic at our place
3: could mm-hmm, can imagine
0: last year, we had 27 people at our house for Christmas. My wife started cooking two days in advance. And the deal is she does the cooking. I do the shopping. I'm not sure which of those is the better choice. <laughs> and inevitably I go to the store, I bring something back. Hey, did you get to this? No, you didn't ask me for that. Okay. Could you go back and get that? I go back and get that. And no, it's the wrong flavor. It's the wrong size, whatever. So I go back one more time. Mm -hmm. So this year, I'm hello-freshing it. Yes, I turned that into a verb.
3: I hope that's allowed.
0: Let's face it. They have everything, all the dinner, all the fixings, all the things you could possibly ask for, and it's delivered to the house. So she doesn't have two days of cooking. She has whatever it requires in the box, Mm -hmm. and I ain't got to go nowhere. He read the first line of of the latest commercial
3: we have where it says skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You know, that's why it is America's number one meal. Can't just throw that in there. But Neil sat back and said, I'm going to fool her.
0: Sometimes reading the
3: copy of a commercial changes your life. Listening to it can change your life, too. So pay attention. Skip trips to the grocery store, count on HelloFresh to make your home cooking
0: easy, fun, and affordable this holiday season. Now, we've been doing these commercials for a couple of months now. And I've been a HelloFresh customer off and on for a couple of years. My daughter is. My wife loves it. We're all in. We're not just reading this. This is actually part of our lives. Had no clue that they did things like charcuterie boards, breakfast, lunch, desserts. No clue. Had yeah. no idea. And if you had yeah. read
3: it, you would have known that you can choose from over 45 weekly recipes and over 100
0: Curated picks from the HelloFresh market. No, I didn't know about their charcuterie <laughs> board. Honestly, I had no idea, and I had no idea about breakfast or lunches. So that opens up a whole nother world.
3: It does indeed. I listen to a, a lot of uh, podcasts, mm-hmm. and there's one thing I noticed. I listened to two of them on the way into the office today, and both of them, uh, after reading a commercial, said, please help support our show by supporting our sponsors, Mm -hmm. You know, do us a favor and shop at our sponsors. I'm not going to say that. Neil's not going to say that. What we are going to say is do yourself a favor and shop at our sponsor, HelloFresh, because we're not doing this for our own good, even though it is good and we love it. And so will
0: you. So just do it. Hang on. You're missing something here. What am I missing? It's not only good for them, but now if you do support HelloFresh by supporting the approach shot, you'll get something for free. Yeah. And that not is just
3: such something, man.
0: <laughs> How
3: about breakfast for life?
0: Breakfast for life. <laughs> <Yeah.
3: laughs> Hello, fresh.com approach free and use the code approach free. And you will get that word. I love it. Free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash approach free with the code approach free. Amazing. And it's America's number one meal kit. And now order it and you will know exactly why.
0: Our guest today is standing by and he is going to talk baseball. He's going to talk golf and he's going to talk spikes. let that's called it. tease in the business. I'm ready.
3: I don't know about you, but I'm coming back. We are the Approach Shot. Hang out with us.
2: Are you listening to the Approach Shot Podcast? Ken Harvey.
0: Four-time Pro Bowler Ken Harvey to you, John.
3: My first professional football game I went to, Boston Patriots and the Buffalo Bills for the championship of the AFL. This is pre-super bowl. Did you sit next
2: to Jesus? (laughs) (laughs) Download an episode or two of the Approach Shot today at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download podcasts, and find us on the web at (laughs) approachshot.net.
3: All right, we are back. The gang's all here. Hail, hail. I'm John
0: Ashton. I'm Neil Michaels and our guest today is a sixteen year veteran of Major League Baseball. And we're thrilled to have you here today. Dave Magadan joins the show. Dave, welcome.
1: Great to be with you guys.
0: Should we start by calling you Mags or Dave?
1: You can call me Mags.
0: All right. Yeah. That yeah. just feels better.
1: There's some familiarity there, right? <laughs> it's yeah. it's
0: interesting. We've had guests on who have the nickname one of one of your old teammates howard johnson was with us recently but it's weird calling him hojo it it sound it doesn't sound like we're having a conversation i feel like i need to have a banner or something or a shirt that's got (laughs) that
1: (laughs) no banner needed
0: uh we love to to tell people ahead of time a little bit about you mags had a 16 year major league career he hit 306 years out of his career and over 270 13 of those years, the way you're described was you weren't a power hitter and you weren't a speed demon, but you were an artist with the bat. Mm -hmm. When I look back at your career, I think Rod Carew, he's one of my all time favorites, and I thought he was an artist with the bat. So that's a favorable comparison.
1: Absolutely. I mean, he was one of my heroes growing up. And I think my dad always instilled in me that, you know, hitting for average, getting a good pitch to hit, getting on base, doing what you need to do to, uh, Try and score a run. The power game was never my forte. Even when I was in high school, didn't hit a lot of home runs. College, I didn't. I hit nine my last year, uh, my junior year at Alabama. So, I was always somebody that just tried to get hits, hit line drives, get on base, swing at strikes, and I felt like I was going to help my team win. Did the- Your
0: dad, he played football and baseball. Was he a good coach? or was he a pusher type?
1: No, he was a great coach. He, he certainly pushed me, uh, not to the extent where I, I started hating the game, but you know, we, we played baseball year-round in, in our household, me and my brother. We did play basketball. We did play football. We played the other sports, but Sundays, even in the middle of the winter, we would go over to uh, West Tampa Heights, which is now Lou Pinella Field uh, in mm-hmm. Tampa. And we'd go over there and take BP. My dad would throw it with me and my brother and, uh, we'd spend the uh, afternoon there hitting. And, uh, we do that year round. Didn't stop us from playing the other sports, but still baseball was our, our number one sport.
3: What, what, when did you start playing baseball?
1: I was very young. Uh, my brother is four and a half years older than me. So, uh, when he started little league, I would tag along with my dad and my brother and I would, mm-hmm. uh, work out with, with my with my brother's team, the older kids. So I think that was a huge advantage for me because yeah. when I started playing, I felt like I was, you know, I hit the ground running. Uh, so I was very fortunate for that. And then my dad, as my brother got older, my dad started coaching me when I got to the minor leagues in Major League Baseball, which is, you know, that that 8-year-old, to uh, 12-year-old range. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and my dad coached me then. And so he was a little bit of a pusher. He wanted perfection. He wanted... He, Number one, get a good pitch to hit. That was the number yeah. one thing he always instilled yeah. in me. And, yeah. and uh, But he was always there for us. He took a job that he was able to coach us in Little League, and he would get out at 3.30 and had the rest of the afternoon and evening to coach me and my brother. So it was it was pretty special.
3: It's very cool. Yeah. I think it's very important that you said also that he was a pusher but didn't get to the point where you hated the game. Yeah. Because that's yeah, the most important for kids.
1: Yeah. Cause he, he, he instilled in me and my, and my brother that we learned a lot. Of, we were going to learn a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons through sport, mm-hmm. being a part of a team, being a part of something that was bigger than yourself. So I think in that way, you know, playing all the sports, I think we learned that, but especially in baseball and, and it was really my, my dad's number one love. He did play college football. He got, he had a a very serious injury when he was playing at Loyola and mm. ended up having to quit. So he always steered us away from, from football and kind of steered us in that direction of playing baseball. He felt like it was going to be a lot safer.
3: And my, my grandfather played semi-pro baseball in Boston when I was growing up. He taught me and he told me one thing. He said, listen, Sean, you can practice until you get it right or... If you want to be a champion, practice until you can't get it wrong.
1: That's a that's a great way of putting it. I think that's the way my dad was. Do it to the point where you don't even have to think about it anymore. Whether it was, it was in- pitching or playing defense, hitting, almost get to the point where hitting a line drive was boring. Like it was like, Oh, there's another line drive, there's another line <laughs> drive. He he was a he was a student of the game, but he also knew when to kind of ease off the gas a little bit and give us some time to do other stuff.
0: Now John just mentioned Boston. It will not be the last time in this show that he mentions Boston. <laughs> it will not be the last time in the show that he mentions the Red Sox. So I'm I just going to. haven't brought gonna, him
3: up yet. I haven't brought him up
0: yet. Come yes, on. Yes, you did. did. We break? just did the open. You were talking about the damn Red Sox back then already. So. Oh, yeah. I remember now. Right. I'm so okay. I'm going to I'm I'm mention to you, John, because this feels really good to me. That Mags was drafted in the 12th round in June of 1980 by the Red Sox and said, no, I don't think so. And then ended up going back to Alabama because you wanted the experience of a four-year college. Alabama is not the hotbed of college baseball. It is the hotbed of college football. As a baseball player at Alabama, did you feel like you were the forgotten sport?
1: Well, if you saw what our field looked like when when I arrived at Alabama in 1980, uh, you would think that we were the forgotten sport. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was, you know, wood bleachers. Uh, we dressed in the Coliseum where the basketball team played, had no locker room. We got lights that year, my freshman year. We finally got lights, so that was kind of special if you can call them lights it was it was not real easy to see when those lights when we were playing night games (laughs) Uh, so it was a little bit of a forgotten sport although uh bear bryant i was there for his last three years at alabama and he was a huge baseball fan so they started pouring more and more money into the program uh, as years went on but certainly those three years that i was there was still i don't want to say archaic but Like I said, we had wood bleachers. We had a press box that was about 8 feet by 20 feet, and that was it. Uh, And like I mentioned, we didn't have a locker room. But I felt like, well, first of all, I didn't get an offer from a four-year school, any four-year school really, in Florida other than the uh, University of Tampa. And they were an up-and-coming power. Uh, Tino Martinez went to school there, so there were some really good players that went through there. But I felt like I needed to get out of the state I felt like the the scouts in in Florida kind of had me pigeonholed. Actually, some of them thought I just pitched. I wasn't you know I wasn't going to be a hitter. They thought I was going to pitch. So I felt like getting out of the state, getting to Alabama, they weren't very good at the time. Barry Schallenberger was the head coach there. It was going to be his second year, I believe. My freshman year, they had only won 18 games a year before, so I felt like I was going to have a really good chance to play. And I did. I was able to play right away and started for three years there, and, and it was a great decision.
0: Well, not only did you play, in 1983, Baseball America named you Collegiate Player of the Year, and you won the Golden Spikes Award as the nation's best amateur player, so I'd say you're probably a little bit better than I got to play.
1: Well, I, I was very fortunate. We had a very good team. Good teams for the three years that I was there, but especially my last year in 1983, we had Brett Alvin, who was our leadoff hitter. He broke the uh, school record for walks and runs scored. I felt like every time I went up the bat, Brett was on base. Rob Skates, our left fielder, he hits second a lot. He had uh, he, he 360 that year. He was on base a lot. So just like I mentioned earlier, it's a team sport. I can't, up the numbers unless I'm getting the guys on in front of me yeah. and I've got pretty good hitters hitting behind me that are going to scare some teams into having a pitch to me and and I felt that's the way it was and it you know we had a really good offense I believe we still got a lot of the school records for offense 40 years later we're very proud of what we accomplished there and and uh you know those are guys that are still my friends to this day
3: baseball has always been America's pastime of course But amateur baseball now, with the Little League World Series getting great numbers every year on TV and and the College World Series getting great numbers on TV, was it the strike? that made everybody go to amateurs to get their their fill of baseball that year and they stayed with it? Or do you have any idea why amateur baseball is getting so popular these days?
1: Well, I think the fact that they're paying a lot of attention to it, they're putting it on TV more and more. I mean, the College World Series now is an, is an event. Certainly in 1983, it was maybe the third or fourth year that ESPN had televised the games, but a lot of the games were not shown live. They were yeah. taped, then they were shown at midnight, you know, as you well know, the games now are, are seen live and there's a legitimate championship game. And there's a desire from the fans to watch those uh, amateur uh, baseball games, I, I think. But the fact that, that the uh, networks are taking the chance and, and spending a lot of money to, to televise those games, I think uh, bodes well for the future for the uh, continuance of those games being shown.
0: One of the things that I just absolutely love when I'm digging down into your past is that Alabama played Texas in the College World Series while you were there, and you got your first look at a guy named Roger Clements. <laughs> Could you tell when you got up to bat, even in college, that this guy is going to be something special?
1: Absolutely. What I'll never forget, during your career in baseball, at every level you're going to see something you've never seen before, right? Mm-hmm. Whether it's going from high school to college, seeing velocity, facing guys that are five years older than you, which I did my first year at Alabama. And then what I remember about Roger, and he didn't even throw his curveball, really, when he got to the big leagues. He was more slider, fastball. He ended up throwing that split finger, especially when he went to to, uh, Toronto. Maybe mixing a curveball, but what I remember is the sound that his curveball made when he threw it to me. I mean, I could hear it spinning. You know those seams that are on the old diamond baseballs that we used in college were, you know, probably twice as high as as it seems that they sh- that they use now. So you can really get good spin on those pitches, and and that's what I remember. It was a curveball that I'd never seen before. So and it was really the first time in my career in college that I struck out twice in the same game. He struck me out my first two at bats. I ended up getting a base hit off him. Him and Calvin Chiraldi, actually, were two pitchers that that were on their team. And those were two guys that I'd really never seen pitching that good. Even though I was in the SEC, never seen pitchers that that were that talented.
0: In 86, you got your call-up in September. And you went 8-for-18, including getting three hits and a walk in your first start. And the Mets won the World Series that year. So, you know, easy game right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> get up, yeah. get well, a bunch
0: of hits, win a World Series ring, all good.
1: As anybody that's played the sport of baseball can tell you, it's a very humbling game and, and uh, certainly I was very fortunate to uh, get called up that year and get a chance to play. Uh, we didn't think we were going to get a, uh, a chance to play at all, the guys that got called up because they were in, I mean, it wasn't a big pennant race because they were up by so many games, but uh, we felt like maybe we'd get a couple games to play and then we were going to start getting ready for the, uh, for the postseason. So, uh, we were coming at, we were actually coming back from St. Louis we had lost 6 games in a row and the Phillies mm-hmm. had won 6 games in a row and, and our magic number was one for that little less than a week so we kept losing they kept winning we kept losing they kept <laughs> so it was like even though we had a big lead it's like all right let's get this thing over with so we go we were in St. Louis we just got swept and we were on our way home to play the Cubs. And on the flight, uh, Davey Johnson came up to me and said, hey, you're going to be playing tomorrow first base. Now, I hadn't played first base in two years, actually more than that, three years. So he told me I was going to start at first and uh, that Keith was sick. He had the flu, and he wasn't going to be able to play. So I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, (laughs) Are you kidding me? I was more nervous about having to play defense, like. I hadn't played first in so long. I didn't even have a first baseman, so ended up getting the start. And Dennis Eckersley was a pitcher that night, and and uh, got three hits off him and drove in some runs.
3: So not only are you playing a position you hadn't played for three years, but you're filling in for Hernandez. You're, you're...
1: Probably the greatest first baseman yeah. that's ever played the game. Yeah. <laughs> no,
3: no, uh, no stress at all. I would imagine, huh?
1: Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, <laughs> it was a rude awakening. Doc Gooden was the starting pitcher that night. and I just could remember how nervous I was playing defense. And then when somebody got on first base and Doc going over, I mean, he didn't just lob it over. He was like firing the ball <laughs> over to me. And so it was, it was nerve wracking. But I think once I got in the box and I was hitting third that night too, which was like, geez, I'm hitting third, uh, straws hitting behind me. It was probably fortunate that I was, even though Eckersley's a hall of famer and, Was a very successful starter and reliever, closer. I think it was better that I faced somebody like him. He was a strike thrower. He challenged guys. So you know, from the get go, I was ready to hit. I think I just stepped in there and I got that first at bat. I got that first base hit, and uh, and you know, the rest was, as they say, history.
0: When it's a guy like Eck. And especially if you're hitting third, is there a different way to prepare or do you just go up there and say, I'm looking for a fastball and I'm going to hit it if it comes in?
1: That's the way I hit anyway. You know, I always hit off the fastball, never went up there looking for a breaking bar or anything soft. I felt like, get ready to hit the hard stuff. I'll, I'll make the adjustment to something that's soft. I'll see the spin. So I think, you know, I was fortunate that, uh, I don't know, maybe he said, hey, young kid, I'm going to just challenge this guy. Because that's kind of what they did back in the day. they like, let's see if he can hit a fastball. And then if you show him you can hit the fastball, then it's like, all right, now we're going to mix it in maybe pitch in off the plate a little bit. So I think I was fortunate that I got up there. He threw some fastballs to me, and I was able to put good wood on him. And and uh, he mixed in some breaking balls my next year bats, but fell behind and then had to fill a fastball, and I was ready for it.
0: There's hitting a baseball, and then there's hitting a golf ball. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a whole uh, bunch of other stuff to talk to you about. I mean, I, before we jump into break, um, I I know there's a lot more of your career to talk about, but I think what I had heard from some other folks is how much you enjoy also coaching. Uh, when you retired in 2001, you became the hitting coach almost immediately with the Padres the next year, and you spent three and a half years there, and then coached John the Red Sox for six mm-hmm. seasons, including the 2007 World championship team which means you have two world series rings is that right
1: i do and i believe i'm the only person that has both a mets ring and a red sox ring
3: but talk about a humbling game we're going to come back and talk about golf probably the, the top of the humbling game list yes, it is. <laughs> david Magadan is our guest we are the approach shot we will be right back Have you ever tried to buy gold and silver and felt like you were talking to a used car salesman? That's because the precious metals industry is like the Wild West. Salesmen can say pretty much anything or make any promise they want without repercussion. But Genesis Gold Group is different. They're a faith-driven Christian precious metals company and believe in educating their customers, not pressuring them for a quick sale genesis gold group focuses on customer service not sleazy marketing genesis gold group is named after the first book of the bible for a reason proper stewardship of wealth is their specialty find out why they've earned a five out of five rating through the better business bureau and how they can help you secure your wealth or
0: retirement through physical precious metals call right now to learn more 800-239-6987 239 6987 Eight hundred two three nine six nine eight seven. That's eight hundred two three nine sixty
3: nine eighty seven. We're back to do it again some more with David Magadan. And I'm John Ashton.
0: I'm Neil Michaels. And, and before we get into golf, Dave, I want you to know that I'm the guy who does the digging for the most useless information possible.
1: There's a lot so of it on you... me. I know
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> of the 1,218 players in the Ultimate Mits database, you are the 49th most popular. So you made the top 50. Not bad. Out of 1,219.
1: Not bad. I'll take it. <laughs> the
0: Mets fans still love you.
1: Yeah. And to this day, you know, we took a trip up there this summer with the family because I've never been a tourist in New York. I I played there, never did the tourist stuff. So we went up there for a week and it's still to this day, you know, they recognize me and they'll say, oh, I was a big fan. You know, a lot of people say they were at that game where I got the three hits off Eckersley against the Cubs when we clinched it. To this day, they still are very kind to me, and it's, it's uh, something I always look forward to when I go to New York. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
2: Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home, and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? Then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. Call for closure Protection Services now at 800-500-2021. 800-500-2021. That's
0: 800-500-2021. I know you had a lot of injuries. You, you would have a great year, and then you would have an injury-prone year, which took your at-bats down and obviously hurt your body, and then you'd have a great year and a, a different injury with moving around to as many teams as you did and playing first base, third base, DH, did it affect the way you prepared for hitting or was hitting like you got in the box and that was your Zen area?
1: I think I was always pretty confident in the box. I think there were times, and I would never blame it on injuries, what, what created that situation where I wasn't an everyday player consistently throughout my career was I had that great year in 1990, uh, came in second in the league in hitting. Came in the next year as, hey, you're the everyday guy. And I had some injuries that year that it was partial injuries and it was partial mindset. I wanted so hard to duplicate what I did the year before that I drove myself crazy with it. Mm-hmm. And then you mix in the little injuries that I had. It was a disastrous year for me. And I think that was my big opportunity to solidify myself as an everyday player in the big leagues at, you know, at the time I was 28 years old. Perfect time to do it. And I think when that happened and I kind of fell my face in that 1991 year, I ended up playing a lot of years after that. Because I could hit and I could hit off the bench and I could hit if I didn't play for a week and I would get inserted in the lineup and be able to get some hits. But I think at that point, teams did not look at me as as a, as an everyday player. The Marlins did. That's why they signed me uh, as a free agent after I left New York. But then when I went to Seattle halfway through that season, did terribly in Seattle, then I was back on that, you know, that's not him. an everyday player.
0: Golf will do that same stuff to you golf will uh, yeah. you you go out and you play a great round like you like your 1990 year and then you'll have a round that just makes you wonder why you picked up clubs in the first place
3: i've had and it can too. happen within 24 hours of each other you don't have to Absolutely. wait for a year <laughs>
1: Absolutely. I think golf, very much like baseball's mindset, if you're standing over the ball and you've got negative thoughts, probably something bad is going to happen. And I used to tell my guys that all the time as as a hitting coach. If you if you get in the batter's box and you have nothing but negativity going through your mind, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. You are going to do something, but you're not going to do something good at the plate. You have to think something good is going to happen. So I think golf is very much like that. But, you know, it's not my number one sport. Uh, it's not something I play every day. It's not something I really practice. I just want to go out there and have a good time and hit the ball solid. Those negative thoughts creep in there. Yeah. you know you got a tight fairway you got trouble on the right you know it's like eh, don't push the ball don't get you know don't cut across the ball and slice it into the water yeah. but it you know like you said yeah. it happens and once
3: it, you say that man that is exactly what's going to happen because your brain yeah. does not know the word don't
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you get at the, you know, at the turn and you're one over or one under and you're like, man, I'm on my way to my best round ever. Yeah. And now you get on the next tee box and it's like, don't mess this up, you know, yeah. hit one in the fairway, give yourself a shot and then you end up pushing one in the woods. So
3: I always like to, uh, when, when my playing partners are playing really well about the 14th or 15th hole, I like to point that out to them.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good move, <laughs> especially when there's money on the line. <laughs> exactly. But I probably have my biggest my biggest trouble in golf is putting, and like mm. like a lot of guys, it uh, is that's where you make your improvements, right? The yep. short game, making it. putts. I think I'm I'm okay off the tee. My irons, I could spray them a little bit, but I think when I play good, when I when I shoot a good score. It's always because I it well.
3: 40% of your shots are your putts, man. Yeah,
1: yeah
0: so. absolutely. What's your handicap these days? I'm a seven. Oh, well, you're talking like you're not a very good golfer. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs>
1: wow. Well, there are times you look at me and I'm not a very good golfer. But, uh, I, I think I've gotten because I've gotten as low as a three. And I think I'm on my way north. Uh, mm-hmm. Started the Started my retirement. I was a five. Now I'm a seven. Uh, I think age is definitely crept in there, and and uh, it's
3: also consistency, David. You yeah. know you 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 don't play a lot, then you you have to relearn or or reforget your bad habits when you get back out there after a couple of days off or a week off or whatever.
1: You know, for sure. And I, I think what happens is you end up one part of your game falls apart. Right? Mm-hmm. You're you're hitting the ball good off the tee. You're hitting your irons okay. The short game is not working. You're not putting. Mm-hmm. Or those three things are working and you're, you're not putting well, you're through putting, you know, four or five uh, greens during the round.
3: Uh, If you could have all parts of your game working right all the time, you'd be playing for money. So, you know,
1: yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But I think with me, I think I just want to go out there and hit the ball solid. You know, I, I, you know, if I push one, I, you know, I pull one or hit one, uh, you know, too long or whatever, I choose the wrong club. Uh, I'm okay with that. I just want to hit the ball solid. What I can't stand is hitting hit hitting the ball fat, hitting yeah. the ball thin, yeah. you know, getting a little quick and pushing a ball right, or, you know, cutting across the ball, which is my yeah. biggest weakness, I guess. If I, I get too quick, try and hit the ball too hard, and then I come over the top of it, end up slicing it or just smothering it to the pull side, and so it, it's it's definitely a Humbling game for sure. Indeed. Uh, very frustrating game.
3: It is, but it's also real fun.
1: It is. It is. I, I, yeah. The fun that I have playing golf is 95% who I'm playing with. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Getting out there, you know, having a couple beers, having lunch afterwards, uh, getting a little game together putting a, you know, 50 cents a hole on the line, you know, and you're still yes. nervous over a putt that's worth a fifty, and you're still nervous. <laughs> uh, but that to me is being able to spend time with friends and family playing golf. To me, there's, yeah. there's nothing better than that. Yeah.
3: Like Lee Trevino said, you don't know stress until you're standing over a putt for a $10 Nassau with only $5 in your pocket.
1: <laughs> yeah. I've been there. I've been there.
0: You know, it's interesting. We were talking to to Tyson Ross, the guy pitched for the um, Padres and and a few other teams, and he's six six and two forty. We always talk about going out on a charity event, right? People will see you coming, they'll see Tyson Ross coming because he's six six. We've talked to football players who are the same. You, the team that gets them looks at those players and says, "Oh my gosh, this guy is this huge." hulking athlete he's going to be our guy out here today and then they're not very good golfers and after four or five holes they realize this is going to be a day of good storytelling yeah <laughs> but with you you're not this big hulking guy so i wonder if the opposite happens people come and see you and they go oh we got this guy he's yeah he's 6'1 195 or you know something like that and and they don't think here's this giant athlete that's going to save our day do you uh do you take a lot of pleasure in, in being that guy who goes out and then plays well?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. I think, first of all, I think people are surprised how big I am because uh, I'm six four. Mm. Yeah. So, okay. it, you know, it's, it's a testament to that happens to me a lot. It seems like every time I get out there and play in a golf tournament, the first thing they say is, Oh man, I didn't realize you're so big. <laughs> I take that as being fat, but you know, they're also <laughs> saying, they're saying that it's, you know, your gun, I didn't know you were six, four. So there is a little bit of that, but I always make sure that I'm going to bring some good story, story mm-hmm. uh, stories with me on the course because they're inevitably going to ask me something about my career or whatever. So I, sure. I always have a few in my pocket that, uh, that I'm going to spring on them at, at some point during the round. But uh, it's funny you mentioned tournaments because I hadn't really played tournaments in a long time. I did early on in my career. Cause I was getting invited to a lot of them here in Florida, uh, around the state. So I I would take advantage of it and play a lot. But recently I haven't, you know, really played that many. So I finally played one at Cooperstown. I went up there for Fred McGriff's, uh, induction. We Fred and I played together in little league and always worked out together in the off season. So he invited me up there and I got to play in the the Cooperstown golf tournament. So that was, that was pretty cool.
3: Very cool. Very fun. You're wearing a t-shirt. There's a home plate and it says 17 inches. I think when we come back, we may discuss uh, okay. what, what, that, what that means. All right. And we will come right back because we are the approach shot and we're contractually obligated. Hang on. If your company stayed open during COVID, I have some great news for you. Government funds are available to reward companies who stayed open during the challenging time. Now, this is not a loan, and you do not have to pay it back. Your hard work to stay open could qualify you for up to $26,000 per employee at covidpayment.com. You heard that correct, up to $26,000 per employee. This program is complicated, but nobody knows more about it than the tax experts at covidpayment.com. You pay nothing up front. They do all the work and share a percentage of the cash they get you. Businesses of all types, including nonprofits and churches, can qualify, including those who took PPP loans. If you have five or more employees, let COVIDpayment.com help get you up to $26,000 per employee. Visit COVIDpayment.com. That's COVIDpayment.com, COVIDpayment and thanks for hanging with us here we are the approach shot we're back with uh, david madigan
0: i am john ashton i'm neil michaels and and we haven't prepped him on the fact that the six-pack is coming but we do want to talk about your shirt
1: yeah so- well this is uh the width of the plate right 17 yep. inches and it's something that we used to and i never wear this it's funny that i'm wearing it today we just happen to have a cold little cold spell here in florida and and i was needed a long sleeve shirt that wasn't too hot so i wore this one found this one in my closet but it was something we preached uh when i was with the Rock, really everywhere that i was at but we made these shirts that you know hey the plate 17 inches all you have to do is cover that don't worry about the area outside the 17 inches as much be ready to hit the pitches that are in the middle of the plate or on mm-hmm. the plate really try to instill that in guys
3: that's another problem with golf that a lot of athletes run into is that whatever game they have played professionally, the field is always the same. When you get yep. to a golf course, even the same course is different day to day.
1: For sure. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think for me, especially the fact that I was a left handed hitter and I play golf right handed. My dad's clubs are right handed. So, you know, always grabbed my dad's clubs and went out there and hit golf balls in the backyard and hit the little plastic balls and all that. So there was no correlation between the two sports as far as how to swing. It was two distinct swings and can't even hit a golf ball probably 50 yards left-handed, which is strange, wow. but you yes. do it.
0: Dave, we told you we were going to have a surprise for you coming up here in segment three, and it is our world-famous six-pack. What we're going to do is we're going to throw six questions at you very quickly. We want you to give us the first answer that comes to mind. If you don't, you'll hear. Ah. So you ready?
1: I'm ready. Let's do Think it. You got
0: this. All right. Let's do it. Six pack for Dave Magadan. Question one, the approach shot cart guy just drove up and said your foursome is next on the T. Which three teammates from any time in your baseball life are joining you for a round of golf? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Winner, winner, Chicken Dinner! We hear that a
2: lot at ChickenDinnerCasino.com because we have so many winners. That's because we have so many ways to win, including slots, blackjack, poker, and more. Of course, you
3: can step into our sportsbook and bet on any sport, including college football, the NFL, and Major League Baseball, with some of the best bonuses around but don't take my word for
1: it. Hey, this is Ricky Williams, former Heisman Trophy winner and All-Pro NFL running back. Hey, this is Ryan
3: Sandberg, Chicago Cubs Baseball Hall of Famer, number 23 retired. Hey guys, it's Brad
1: Sham. I am the radio voice of the Dallas Cowboys. Be a winner by playing ChickenDinnerCasino.com Winner, winner, Chicken Dinner. You can be a winner by playing
3: today at ChickenDinnerCasino.com And our listeners get special offers. Just go
0: to ChickenDinnerCasino.com slash sports. That's Dinnercasino.com slash sports, and you could be a winner winner today.
1: David Ortiz, Dustin Pedroia, Fred McGriff.
0: Wow, just like that.
1: Yeah. Like are my... that.
0: Are you sure you didn't say that stuff just to make John happy because two of them Red Sox?
1: <laughs> Partially. <laughs> <laughs> Partially, but I'm a little uh I guess nostalgic about being with the Red Sox. I, that was probably my favorite place that I was at. So uh, my wife is from the area. So when I actually had that job, I had we bought a house up there, which was great. And her family was up there. So it was a good time.
0: Question two. <laughs> Let's get the Lou Pinella question out of the way. You had significant time in both the Mets organization and the Red Sox organization. And Lou is best known for his time with the Yankees. What's Thanksgiving like at your house?
1: Well, Lou and I have never spent Thanksgiving together. Really? Uh, and yes. now we know why. <laughs> yeah, uh, because we he's very close to my, or he was very close to my parents. Uh, so he would come by and visit during the holidays. But for the most part, he lived up in New Jersey, Most of his career with the Yankees, and then when he coached with the Yankees, he was a general manager with the Yankees, lived a lot of that portion of his life up in New Jersey, in Allendale, New Jersey. It it just wasn't very convenient, so we didn't spend a lot lot of time uh, together during the holidays.
0: All right, question three. You mentioned that you are close friends with Hall of Famer Fred McGriff, who, who mentioned you prominently in his Hall of Fame speech, and I know you guys played together ever since you were back in... Uh, Little League. Yeah. His nickname, the Crime Dog, is one of the best nicknames in baseball history. So other than Mags, do you have a nickname most people don't know about?
1: I really don't.
0: Uh, Not even from Little League or school?
1: My friends from from grade school and high school, they call me Mag. They don't call me Mags. So they always call me Mag for whatever reason. I, you know, uh, Mags is always my post-educational life. And then anybody that went to school with me, call me calls me Mag. And even when they text me, it's never Mags. It's always Mag. So didn't really have another nickname. You know, might have a few nicknames for me, but not, not any, <laughs> uh, that I care to <laughs> share.
0: So if you're around people and somebody calls out, you have to listen to hear the s's in there so that you know when in your life they, they were a part of you
1: yeah, and it, it absolutely has happened in my career uh i've been around the cage or whatever and somebody's up in the stands and they'll say mag and i know it's somebody that from my high school days or even my grade school days so it, it's funny how that happened
0: all right question four what's the most memorable golf shot you've ever hit
1: god i gotta answer that quick i did uh, i've had two shot i've never had a hole in one uh, as much as i've played but i've hit two balls that well uh, one of them bounced hit the flag ended up right on the edge of the cup mm. and another one i hit you know over the flag came back and stopped right on the edge of the cup and those oh. are probably the two that i remember the most I've driven some par fours when I was younger, uh, especially in Arizona when we would play there during spring training. always remember driving greens on par fours and having, you know, making an eagle putt. I don't know. There's something about that hole in one and never having one.
0: All right. Question five. You stole a total of 11 bases in your entire (laughs) Major League career. You were also caught stealing 11 times in your Major (laughs) League (laughs) career. Can you remember a specific time where you were out
1: by a mile? I was never out by a mile because I think it was such a surprise when I was taking off the field. <laughs> that the catcher, I think, a lot of times fumbled the ball. And what I will remember, I will never forget this. And I tell the story a lot when I have speaking engagements. Uh, we were in a big game in New York. I was uh, Straw was up the bat. Uh, it was a tie game, and it was late September. I think we were. Maybe playing the Pirates, you know, it was, you know, during that time when the Pirates were very good, they were in our division and we were, you know, fighting for first place, no wild card. And I got a base hit to lead off the inning and Straw was hitting behind me. Straw took the count to three and O and I don't know how I lost track of what the count was because I always prided myself on it. And it was, I thought it was three, one, not three O. We had the hold sign like it was automatic. Run three one three two on our team, and they would give you the hold like don't go. Well, it was 3-0. I didn't see the hold. Of course, they wouldn't give me the hold on a three o count, mm-hmm. and I took off. <laughs> and I, you know, running and you know, check back to see if, you know if the hitter swings the bat. And I check back; it's right down the middle, and Straw doesn't swing. He was taking. And the, while I'm running, I can, I never forget. I was thinking, what is straw doing? Thinking, taking a three, one pitch right down the middle when I'm running. <laughs> so sure enough, they throw me out, you know, so I get up clean my pants running off the field. And, you know, I hear some booing and I'm like, they're booing straw. Cause he didn't swing the bat three, <laughs> one on a pitch right down the middle. And I get to the dugout and I'm looking around and it's like I have leprosy. Nobody's saying anything to me, nobody's coming (laughs) anywhere near me. And then I go, I sit down and I look up at the scoreboard and I see the count's three one now on straw. I'm like, oh my God. that, That is the one stolen base, and you can look it up on Baseball uh, Reference. You can see three O counts. I have a caught stealing. <laughs> and that's a, that's a one.
0: Oh my goodness! Well, there you go. And and there's something great about knowing that you've been caught stealing as often as you stole bases, which I don't goes know about to that. The, <laughs> it, it goes to the you know he wasn't necessarily a speed demon.
1: <laughs> I was not, but I, what I would always tell guys. When I was playing later in my career, you know, I played 15 years, my 13th, 14th year, I go, I never lost a step. I was as slow when I was 39 as I was when I was 24. So I never lost a step. I go, all you guys that could run when you were 24, now it's noticeable how slow you, you know, how much slower you are. With me, it never looked that way.
0: Okay, it's really hard to get back to question six at this point, because it's the serious question. Dave, since we are the approach shot, Dave Magadan, in your approach to life, what one rule do you live by?
1: I would have to say it's it's being honest. Uh, I think the few times that I've outright lied to somebody, you know, lied to a group of people, it never turned out good. Mm. And I learned that that lesson early on. Uh, So I think I always try and be honest uh, with my kids, with my wife, with my family, my friends. There's obviously times you have to be a little more diplomatic and not be so brutally honest. But I think in the long run, being honest is always going to be the right way to go.
0: Dave Magadan, you are off the hot seat. Well done, sir.
1: And we can honestly
0: say we've enjoyed having you on the show today, man.
1: Well, I've enjoyed being on it. I really enjoyed it. You guys did your homework, and that's always nice.
0: <laughs> Quickie question for you: you um, sure. you were a hitting coach for the Rockies as recently as last season. Are you open for business? You looking to get back as, as a as a hitting coach?
1: I am not. Uh, I think I would. I, I think if something came across me that was more where I could be at home. Or I can travel to see teams, maybe be a consultant, a special assistant to GM. Uh, If something like that came across, uh, my desk, I think I'd I'd look at it. But I think, you know, with my kids, I I have two grown boys. And then I have two girls that are 19 and 14. I've enjoyed so much being with them uh, this spring and summer, uh, watching my little one play volleyball, you know, be there every, every night for their homework and, you know, oh, I don't understand this and being able to help them. You know, that's, that's tough to give up. And I I was absent for, for a lot of years. Well, the Rays look
0: like they need something to push them over the top. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they just happen to have an executive assistant or assistant to the, to, to the GM, I think that might be something, right? So if the Rays are listening consider
1: it, yeah, I am consider it, I think. Uh, Kevin Cash was a player I had in Boston, so he and I have a relationship. I, I have talked to them about uh, possibilities of doing something. You know, who knows? Maybe someday if that's, that happens, that'd be great. If not, you know, I'd be open to maybe traveling occasionally to do stuff for an organization. And I think for now, though, I'm pretty happy with what I'm doing, which is not much.
0: Mags, it's been great talking with you and meeting you and talking a little golf and um, talking about your lack of speed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that always seems to come up. That's why I love golf. That's why I love golf. You don't have to run.
0: <laughs> All the best. Thanks again for, for hanging out with us today on Your approach Shot.
1: Nice. thanks for having me on the show and, and uh look forward to being on it again one day.
0: Our
3: door's always open. Come on in, man.
2: Call for Closure Protection Services now at 800 500 2021. 800 500 2021. That's 800
3: And we are back with The Approach Shot. I'm John Ashton.
0: I'm Neil Michaels. And you know that the people who know me from time on the air, it's Neil Michaels. Before that, it's Neil Michael. So it's a mag and a mags thing. Huh? Yeah,
3: exactly. We have told people many times that we were both old disc jockeys. And, you know, when we were on the radio it was a time when everybody was alive, and they Used to participate in a lot of uh, promotional stuff, a lot of charity stuff. Yeah. They had basketball teams, you know, softball teams, stuff like yeah. that. And we played, raised money for people. Here in Louisville, WAKY, when it was a, a top 40, one of the biggest top 40 stations in the country, mm-hmm. we had a softball team. Also in Louisville, Kentucky, was the champions of the professional slow-pitch softball league, the Kentucky Bourbons. So we were going to play a three-inning exhibition match with them at their mm-hmm. home field here in Louisville. I was on the softball team, as were the other five jocks. But the rest of the team were ringers. Good choice. If you're going to stay was, any chance at all? I know, but in the in the uh, preparation up to the game, the ringers were visibly nervous because they were playing the world champion softball team,
0: mm-hmm. and
3: they had friends in the stands. And they yeah. were just like, please don't make me look stupid in front of my friends and family. I was a kid from New England. I had been in town for a month. I didn't know from the Kentucky Bourbons. I didn't <laughs> know I was supposed to be nervous. Right. right? I don't care. Right. I was a leadoff hitter. The first pitch came by. I didn't see it. Dave was talking about hearing the spin of a, you know, right. I heard it. I heard it whistle right by me. I heard it go. And the, <laughs> this is a softball. A softball. Okay. And I looked at the catcher and I said, I thought this was slow pitch. He said, son, that was slow. (laughs) (laughs) So I I figured, okay, time to make an adjustment. So I made the adjustment. The second pitch came in. I hit it. It never got more than four feet off the ground, but it was a liner about four feet. And it went right between the shortstop and third baseman. Ooh, look at that field. Uh So I get the first base and they're throwing the ball around the first baseman, just slaps me on the butt and says, shouldn't have done that. Boy, you made him look bad. (laughs) Yeah, I stayed there at first base for about another three minutes as the next three outs hit, one, two, three. Yeah. And they called the game at the end of the first inning when it was 27 to nothing. But that—that that is my claim to fame. I am the only one on this team that got a hit against the world champion softball team, the <laughs> Kentucky Bourbons. Yeah.
0: That's because you're the only one who got a slow pitch. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> thank you for joining us again today as we ramble aimlessly about our, our, the only two or three decent sports stories we have that aren't on the golf course. Um, We have another great guest coming up again next week. And as always, we thank you for being with us. We ask you to download some of the previous shows and take a listen to some of the great guests we've had before. And if you like it, give us a review, um, write a little thing, give us five stars, I feel like an Uber driver. Give us five-star review or go to the website and just subscribe and you will uh, have an opportunity to go to any of the back shows. And I will tell you, Mr. Ashton, we are on show 92. So number 100 is coming soon. No wonder I'm tired. Okay. (laughs) We did them all this week. So
3: (laughs) Again, it is ApproachShot.net. No, the. Just simply ApproachShot.net. You can subscribe. We would appreciate it.
0: I am going out to play golf tomorrow because it is November and it is 85 degrees.
3: Okay. Well, it was 27 this morning when I woke up. So almost the same. So so bite me. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And with that, I'm Neil Michaels.
3: I'm John Ashton. (laughs)
2: Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at ApproachShot.net.